Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to a Big Heads Media Podcast. Tonight, I'm talking about vampires. <clears throat> I mean, vampires. As we discuss Cumbria, England, and Mineral Point, Wisconsin. All that and more on Small Town Secrets. <laughs> Welcome to this, the seventh episode of Season 1, also known as Episode 1.07. And before we get into the show proper, I do have a few housekeeping notes to go over. Uh, The first, you've probably already noticed it. I hope you noticed it. I spent uh, an arduous five minutes making that intro stinger. But this podcast is now part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. So we're joining like 20-some other shows of all different genres. Uh, There's a lot of sports ones. There's some true crime stuff. There's some off-the-beaten-path stuff. There's some video game stuff. There's some movie stuff. 
all sorts of things. So check it out. I'll leave a link in the show notes. I'll give a, to the, uh, to the website. Everyone can go check it out and look and see what other shows they have to offer. But that is a thing that happened. And the other thing I want to let everyone know is I will be starting a new job next week, which is going to be a third shift gig. So the, this episode is going to be fine. It probably came out or, you know, the time it normally does, but Next episode, episode eight, is going to be on a different schedule. It's going to be uh, coming out like really early Saturday morning. So since it's a third shift gig, I'm not working Friday nights because you work kind of Sunday and then you don't work Thursday. Um, I can sit down. I'll be used to being up all night. So I can sit down on Friday nights, record the whole thing, then go back and edit the whole thing and upload and get everything out in one big shot. Hopefully, that's the plan. And um, release it like that night. So really late Friday night, really early Saturday morning. However you want to look at it is when the show will be coming out from now on. So yeah, I guess that's it as far as housekeeping. Just letting everyone know that is where the show is at. That is what is happening. Um, Really proud, really happy to be on Big Heads Media. It was something that I always wanted for the show. But I never thought like seven episodes in that it would ha- it would happen and they approached me and we worked out a thing and here we are. But let's get into what we've got on tonight's show. Tonight's theme obviously is uh, vampires. We are talking about two cities and two very different vampire tales. The first one, the vampire of Crogland Grange in Cumbria, England, which used to be called Cumberland. Now it's called Cumber, you know, it's just over the years it's changed. Is very much your quintessential classic vampire tale. And the vampire of Mineral Point, Wisconsin, uh, isn't. In fact, there was a little bit of a rabbit hole to fall down there, and it ended up maybe sounding like maybe the vampire of Mineral Point is is a little more than just a vampire. But before we get into all that, of course, we have some promos for some other podcasts. This week, we're going to be doing two. The first is a show on Big Heads Media entitled Dear World Love History. And the other one is going to be from my other podcast friends, Light the Fright, which is a very interesting little show about fears and phobias. And they're doing a pretty good job out there. They're digging up fears and phobias that you might not think about right off the top of your hand. So we're going to listen to these two promos. If you get a chance, check them out. And we'll be back to talk some vampires. Hey, we're Renee. And Adrian. And we are the The Outlandish Outlandish Historians. Historians. We're sisters, nerds, and lovers of all things history. Except bell bottoms. Keep that in the past. Come hang out with us on the Dear World of History podcast. We'll frolic through time as we chat and geek out over the good, the bad, and the downright ugly history of the world. We promise you don't have to be a licensed historian to travel through time with us. Maritime disasters? Check. Historical serial killers? Check. Glamorous and petty royals? Check and check. You can find us almost anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Dear Historians and Instagram at Outlandish Historians. 
So chug that drink me bottle and come on down the rabbit hole. It's going to be a wild ride. I'm Miranda. I'm Natalie. We may be fraidy cats, but we are perilously curious. No topic is off limits with us. We explore all forms of physical and metaphysical fears, from a primal fear of snakes, Miranda, haha, to the annoying fear of commitment. Ooh, also Miranda. When are we going to talk about <laughs> your issues, Natalie? We analyze the nature and rationality of these phobias, and we face some of our own fears on the podcast. Except for snakes. That one's off limits. Oh, it's coming. But we do splash in some true crime stories and real life stories relating to those fears and phobias. If you follow these Southern Bells into hell, we promise to have you back in time for dinner. Join us on Light the Fright Podcast wherever you get your podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Light the Fright. And on Facebook at Light the Fright Podcast. And we're back. And, you know, I think it's time to jump right into it. I'm going to move my chair. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the Kroglin Vampire in Cumbria, England. The legend of the Kroglin Grange Vampire is really the classic vampire story. And I mean that. It has everything. It has the damsel in distress. It has the weird creature staring through the window trying to get in. It has uh, the whole family doing everything in their power to eliminate this evil. It has a town posse. And I can only assume that pitchforks and torches were used. And it's got, you know, we're gonna, they hunt it down. It's got everything. But unlike Dracula, this one may have actually happened. Kroglin is nestled in Cumberland County, England. And the story first originated in a book by Augustus Hare entitled My Solitary Life. Augustus claimed he was told the story by a descendant of the Cranswell family. It all started at a farmhouse known then as Kroglin Grange. The Grange was located near an old church and cemetery. The entire property was owned by a family called the Fishers. The Fishers decided one summer to rent out the smaller home on the farm and it wouldn't be long until future tenants Edward, Michael, and their sister Amelia Cranswell would take up residence in the farmhouse. The Cranswells quickly became entranced by the rural life that the small town offered, and decided to stay much longer than they had originally thought. They continued staying through that winter and into the next summer, becoming well known amongst the locals over the year. The next summer would come, and it would be a hot one. One night in that scorching summer, all three of the Cranswells sat outside and watched the moon rise before deciding to go to bed. Michael and Edward retired to their rooms and Amelia to hers. Amelia spent some time gazing at the stars out of her unshuttered window. After a few minutes, she noticed two lights hovering near a row of trees, and then a dark shape started coming closer and closer to her window. At first, the shadowy shape moved away from the window and appeared to make its way around the house. She took this opportunity to run for the door and escape the room. However, her trembling hands tried to get the key in the lock, and she heard something that filled her with sheer terror. Someone, or perhaps something, was scratching at her bedroom window. It wasn't just scratching. 
the bean was picking out the lead which held the glass pane in place. A pane of glass fell to the floor and a bony white hand with long fingers reached in and unclasped the window latch. The vampire then proceeded to come into the room. The thing forced her to the ground and bit her. She screamed as it did. Upon hearing the scream, both brothers entered the room. The thing rushed out the door at an incredible speed. One of the brothers went through the window and after it, but the thing was much too fast and disappeared in the darkness of the night down by the graveyard. After this attack, Amelia had come to the conclusion that she had to have been attacked by some sort of lunatic and the three decided that it was time to get away from Kroglin for a bit. They left for the rest of that summer. However, as the sweltering summer gave way to the fall, it would be Amelia herself who suggested they return to Kroglin. They had paid for the tenancy after all, and how likely was it to run afoul of two escaped lunatics? Upon their return to Kroglin, Amelia made sure to always latch the shutters. She moved back into the same... That was an odd noise. I don't know if anyone can hear that weird kind of howl that just happened. Probably a dog, but it's creepy, and I think I'm going to leave it in. Fits the podcast pretty well. Where was I? Uh, She had moved back into the same room that she was in before. Michael and Edward had also taken to carrying loaded pistols with them. The rest of autumn and the entire winter passed with no events. However, the following March, the vampire would return. One night... Amelia heard the familiar noise of fingers picking at the lead around her window. By the time she was able to light a candle and shine it towards the window, she discovered her shutters open, with the creature's face staring at her through her window. Once again she screamed, and once again the brothers Cranswell came to help. This time, they drew pistols and fired. One shot hit the thing in the leg, and it hobbled off towards the graveyard. Michael and Edward had had enough. The next day, they talked to some townspeople and rounded up a posse. They also found out they weren't the only ones who had run-ins with the supposed vampire. The tenants of what would become nearby Krogland High Hall had thought that their daughter had been bitten by rats, but now the father was thinking otherwise. He feared the worst, and needless to say, he joined the posse. The group of townspeople made their way down to the cemetery, and based on rumors, of a local monster living in a certain vault, they honed in on that vault's location. The tomb was full of coffins, however all but one was unopened. The rest were smashed, with the remains strewn about the crypt. The group lifted the lid of the coffin and found a mummified and shriveled body. To confirm the creature's identity, the Cranswell brothers checked its leg for a gunshot wound. It had one, and it was fresh. They wasted no time and set fire to the entire vault, burning everything inside. And that is pretty much the tale of the Kroglin Vampire. There's a lot of back and forth, however, to the validity of Augustus Hare's tale. As it seems Hare adapted certain scenes from a Penny Dreadful novel titled Varney the Vampire this is where it stands so far. In 1924, one Charles Harper went to Cumberland, and he could not find Krogland Grange, but he did find both Krogland High and Low Hall. However, there was no church nearby, the closest one being at least a mile away. 
he was also unable to find the vault that was the creature's resting place. Sometime in the 1930s, a man named F. Clive Ross gave the area another visit in an attempt to challenge Harper's findings. He conducted some interviews and found that Krogland Lowhall was probably the Grange. He noted as well that there was a foundation near the house. Some of the stones were still there, so this could have been the church at one point in time. Then, in 1968, D. Scott Rogo, a writer, found a book published in 1929. It contained both Hare's story and the Penny Dreadful story. Because of this, he concluded it was all a hoax. Clive Ross would come back later with more evidence in favor of the tale. He found a witness called Mrs. Parkin, who lived at Slack Cottage and Ain't Stable. She had known someone from the Fisher family who was born in the 1860s and had heard of the tale from his grandparents. Parkland also noted that the deed to Low Hall has it called Krogland Grange until 1720. Who knows why Hare messed with the dates? Recent research by one Lionel Fanthorpe suggests that the events took place closer to the 1600s. And he also found evidence of a demolished vault near the Grange that would have existed around that time. So there's a lot of heat. There's a lot of research in this. And even though it's like, like I said, it's the quintessential uh, vampire story. You know, you've got names of people. You have real locations. Uh, the dates don't quite match up with what Hare had written. And who knows why he did that. Maybe he wanted to make the story seem more recent, you know? And I, I understand that, like, if you're doing, you know, I think people would garner more interest in a tale that happened closer to the actual time. There's more interest in it because if it's 1860 and you write your story in 1865 and you, you know, or I'm sorry, you say it was 1860, then I think that drums up more interest because it's people will go oh that that just happened that's a place we can check out or whatever that's a, a place we might know and then if you you know if you say it happened hundreds of years ago your your story might lose some luster so you know or maybe it's all made up who knows but i like this story a lot because like i said it just has evidence you know there was real research done to be like hey there was a grange here. There might have been a cemetery. Hey, we found this vault. We found evidence that there was a vault here and it was destroyed sometime in the 1600s. Uh, the dates don't match up, but with the research, you know, it comes back. And everything still could have happened basically the same way. I mean, there were flintlocks and other types of firearms in the 1600s, so it was, it, it was entirely possible that they were able to shoot the thing with a musket. But we'll leave it up to you guys to decide if the tale of the Krogelin Grange vampire was a real encounter or was it just a story. But let's switch gears here and talk about another vampire, a much more recent tale, and the vampire of Mineral Point, Wisconsin. This second story actually turned into a little bit of a rabbit hole, as you'll find out. It is a vampire story, but it kind of spirals into other stories. 
uh, other beans, other you know, just it gets it gets a little rabbit holy. But now let's let's get on to the Mineral Point Vampire in Mineral Point, Wisconsin. The small town of Mineral Point in Wisconsin is home to many things, including a stop on the Cheese Country Trail and the Midwest Cornish Festival. But Mineral Point has something else. It lurks in the shadows and stalks around in the night. It's a tall figure, lanky, with pale white skin, complete with a black cape. The thing is simply known as the Mineral Point Vampire. To date, there have been three sightings of the vampire. The first would take place way back in 1981. There had been calls of a strange intruder at the nearby Graceland Cemetery. One snow-covered night, police officer John Pepper made his rounds and decided to stop at the cemetery. The officer expected to find nothing, but his night was about to take a turn for the bazaar. Pepper saw a tall, gaunt man in a black cloak. As soon as the creature noticed he was found out, he fled off through the tombstones. And Officer Pepper gave chase. He chased the vampire to the edge of the cemetery. The officer was about to catch up with the vampire when he abruptly stopped in his tracks. Pepper watched as a humanoid creature leaped in one jump over a six-foot barbed wire fence. Officer Pepper went back to his car and made a report. The next day, Pepper and a couple of fellow officers returned to where the vampire had escaped, hoping to find its footprints in the fresh snow. When they approached the section of fence the creature jumped over the previous night, they found no tracks and no further sign of the trespasser. So it's, it's unclear as if there were tr no tracks at all or if there were no tracks after he jumped over the fence. I think it's the latter because that would assume that maybe the creature uh, flew away or it could jump like really far and just not leave tracks that could be easily found. For 23 years after John Pepper's incident with the vampire, there would be little to no sign of it. Nothing until March 14th of 2004. Residents of some apartment buildings had called the police to report a strange man in a black cape jumping out of a tree and scaring the residents. When the police arrived, they found a tall, lanky man, indeed in a black cape. It matched Pepper's description of the vampire down to a T. The cops approached the thing, and it leapt from the tree. Just like John Pepper 23 years earlier, they gave chase. They ran after the thing until it jumped over a 10-foot-tall stone wall, leaving the officers baffled. The third sighting happened on July 11th of 2008. Brandon Hines and his girlfriend, Jamie Marker, were fishing off a jetty out at London Lake. They were fishing off a dock when they heard scratching at the wood and splashing beneath them. Brandon's first instinct was to get up and stomp on the dock's floor, hoping to scare whatever it was beneath them away. His stomping had the opposite effect, and only drew the thing closer to them. Brandon shone his flashlight at the dock's floor, and there, in between the spaces of the boards, he could see the white-faced vampire of Mineral Point, cloak and all. Jamie quickly fled the scene, leaving her boyfriend behind. Brandon watched as the vampire climbed up the jetty, coming right for him. In a panic, he chucked his flashlight at the creature and tore off after Jamie, 
who had bolted for the car. Once inside the car, the couple observed the vampire making its way towards the vehicle at an incredible speed. Brandon quickly started the engine and gunned it. The two sped off towards the Mineral Point police station. A couple of officers were dispatched up to the lake to check out the couple's claims. All they found was the couple's fishing gear, all of which was accounted for, and curiously, the only thing missing was Brandon's flashlight. The vampire, however, may be something else entirely. In between the first and second sighting, in 1987, a werewolf was spotted in Mineral Point. The story was originally reported to Linda Godfrey by a woman named Kim in 2004. The story appears in Linda's book, Hunting the American Werewolf, Beast Men in Wisconsin and Beyond. Kim told Linda that one sunny spring day, she was at some sort of gathering with around 20 other people. They saw what appeared to be a werewolf run by them as it was changing back into human form. It ran into a nearby building and then fell over a railing before completely turning back into a human. And that's the story. It's a really quick encounter and it's a little sketchy, I'll admit, that she doesn't give details. She doesn't say what this gathering was. Um, they don't really get into who the, va- who the vampire, who the werewolf was. You'd think that if they saw it turn back in the human form, they might be able to pinpoint who it was. But it's it's really interesting that now you've got a vampire story and a werewolf story in the same small town. But that's not at all. There's some more. Then there's the famed Ridgeway Phantom. Before the vampire and the werewolf there was the Phantom. It terrorized the towns of Mineral Point and nearby Ridgeway. And I might actually be able to come back and do an entire episode on Ridgeway and the Ridgeway Phantom, maybe. The entity was known to take on many forms, such as an old woman, a young woman, a headless man, a ball of energy, and several animals. The Phantom was known to jump out of the darkness and scare travelers. Kind of like jumping out of a tree and scaring uh, apartment residents. The origin of the Ridgeway Phantom seems to have been traced back to 1840. It is said that the Phantom is the melding of two ghosts of two teenage boys. One boy was tossed in a fire by some drunken bullies at McPhillips Saloon, and the other froze to death trying to escape from town. It's unclear if these are unrelated incidents or if the one kid was trying to get away from said drunken bullies and that's why he was trying to escape from town. I'm not sure. I wasn't able to really find that much out. So you have one spirit of fire and the other of ice joined together to form the Ridgeway Phantom. So could it be that the Phantom is all these things? Over the years has it evolved to change not just in the animals and people, but werewolves and vampires? Or is the area around Mineral Point just chock full of weird paranormal entities? Or could this thing be some sort of trickster phenomenon? Uh, You hear stories about that all the time, that this is some weird just thing that has come here and it's just here to mess with us. We don't know why. And the thing just keeps evolving over the years. And the vampires and the werewolves and other things in our psyche. To do whatever the trickster seems it needs to do. 
there's a lot of things that you could talk about as the mineral point vampire. Is it one thing? Is it like three things? Or is it none of these things? It's something else entirely that we can't even grasp. Maybe we'll never know. So those are our two stories for the main segment tonight. Let's take, once again, a little musical interlude, intermission, as I've kind of come to call it. It's the middle of the show. And we will return with local headlines. We're back, and we have some more local headlines as always. The first one on the docket comes from WBTV, 
which I believe, if I'm looking at this right, is out of Charlotte, North Carolina. But the story... Okay, now I'm looking at it. It's, it's WBTV is a website. It looks like the, the article is from the Charlotte Observer, but it's from a story from Nebraska. So it's kind of all over the place. Uh, written by Mark Price. Headline reads, Creature with huge teeth reported in Nebraska Park, giving rise to chupacabra rumors. It was only one month ago that India's army said it found proof of the abominable snowman. So it shouldn't be a complete shock that many on Twitter now claim a chupacabra turned up in Nebraska, of all places. The proof, some insist, is a pair of photos tweeted Friday by Sportsman Channel, showing half a furry creature with a vicious looking set of teeth and canine similarities. Among those retweeting the photos was South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. The tweet asked Twitter users to give their best guess and that's where the chupacabra came up, over and over again. Chupacabra, like Bigfoot, is a fabled creature that Animal Planet describes as a mix of vampire and marauding furry lizard. First reported in Chile, knowledge of the dog-like beast has spread in the United States via the nation's growing South and Central America immigrant population. I'm going to pause here because if you know anything about the chupacabra, you know that there are two types of chupacabra. There's the South American one, which is a lizard-like, alien-like thing, and then there is the North American one, which is a dog-like creature. Uh, so they've kind of muddled those again in this article, but I digress. No one has ever caught a chupacabra, though plenty of eyewitnesses claim to have seen one, Animal Planet says. Photos of the mysterious creature allegedly found in Honco State Park began showing up on June 4th on the Adventures of Country Hunting and Fishing Facebook page. A friend of mine sent this to me today, said the June 4th Facebook post. The back half of the animal is gone, my friend thinks. This animal may have been around 18 inches in length. Would anyone know what this is? At first I thought my friend was playing a joke on me or that this was photoshopped. The post, which has got nearly 4,000 reactions, concluded by asking jokesters not to respond. There may be other animals out there like this. I am serious, said the post. Those taking the matter seriously have suggested it was a dog, mountain lion, fox, or blonde raccoon. However, as the photos spread on Facebook and Twitter, the chupacabra theory has taken hold. TV station WTGS cover the mystery Friday under the headline Lion Dog? Unknown animal found in any baffles Twitter and noted a chupacabra was among the possibilities being debated. If it's not a photoshop picture, asked the station, then what could the animal be? And of course in the show notes I will link this story and you can take a look at the picture. Uh, you can't really tell the creature was 18 inches long from the picture because it's kind of a close up, but it does look very dog-like with a very short snout, a dog-like nose, but then it has these almost kind of lion-tiger type of teeth. It could easily be photoshopped. There's, I mean, it's not a great picture in the first place. It's a little blurry, and you can't really get a sense of scale from the picture either. Like, if this thing was only 18 inches long, I don't know. I would like to see all the picture. Let's move on to the next story. The next one is from the Berkshire Edge. It is written by Terry Calgill, and the headline reads, Sheffield Town Crew Hauls Away UFO Monument, 
off-world witnesses vow to file charges. Let's get one of those. Sheffield. The years-long drama over a controversial monument and park site near the covered bridge reached a tipping point Tuesday morning, June 4th, as town crews arrived with heavy equipment and carted portions of it away. A crew from the town highway department arrived around 8.30 a.m. with a front-end loader, backhoe combination, and hauled away a monument, a bench, and a row of crushed stone. The monument and park were built to commemorate what Thomas Reed, who grew up on Boardman Street, calls an off-world incident. In an August 26, 2015 ceremony, Reed and a group of supporters gathered at the covered bridge off Route 7 to commemorate an event that occurred September 1, 1969, when Reed and others say they saw a UFO near the site. Reed, then only nine, said he and his family found themselves being taken aboard a tarnished circular-looking vessel where an image of a willow tree was displayed. According to Reed's website, a monument of the sighting was placed near the Sheffield Covered Bridge during a ceremony almost four years ago. But trouble soon erupted. Many people in town were upset by the monument's appearance. Moreover, the town's attorney later determined that the monument had been placed on town property and the order came down for it to be removed. Reed insisted town officials had told him the original location was fine, but the monument was later moved about 50 feet to the east onto the property of his friends Lois Argy, who owns Pine Island Farm. More than a year ago, a town land survey reportedly found that the slab and its accoutrements were still on town right of way, and Reed must relocate them or the town would do it for him. Select board member Nadine Hover referred questions to select board chair Renee Wood, who referred in courtesy to town administrator Rhonda LaBombard who did not immediately return a message seeking comment. Sheffield Town Hall is closed to the public on Wednesdays, the day this article was written. In a brief interview, Selectman Martin Mistoff confirmed to The Edge that the town removed the monument and that the portion of the park on the town right-of-way had been reclaimed. The other portion of the park, including several benches and some solar lamps that were on Argy's property slightly to the north, were not disturbed. The monument was removed at considerable expense to the town, Mistoff said, though he could not say precisely how much it cost in legal and surveying fees. Unfortunately, the party responsible was not responsive. Reed told The Edge via text message Tuesday that his nonprofit UFO Monument Park Incorporated had retained a lawyer and plans to contest the town's action. Today the gloves came off, he said. Reed further insisted that the town's right-of-way does not constitute ownership of any kind. It's simply an area of land that is shared by the town via the landowner and its lesser UFO Monument Park Incorporated, Reed said. Despite early reporting, I have also signed agreements by the town's lawyers, Pine Island Farms, and myself dating back as far as 2015. Mark G. I have no idea how to say this. Lavoy? Lavie? who lives in Granville, is a former non-profit executive and horticulturalist who has been advising Reed. He told The Edge he sees the town's removal of the monument and the bench next to it as theft of property. Town crews enter to take possession of someone else's property. I think it's Lavoie, said. This was a conspiracy by few, an unlawful trespass, illegal seizure of property, and in my opinion, defamation. Lavoie had heard of Reed's project on a radio program and the two became friends. 
Lavoy later donated some of the trees and solar lights that remain on the northern portion of the property. He said there was a group in town waging a vendetta against his friend and that Reed had been harassed for a number of years. Lavoy added that Reed had received a threatening letter from town officials two weeks ago, but Reed was traveling and unable to respond. Asked whether the monument was indeed sitting on town property, Lavoy replied, that may be true, but even if it was town property, what's the beef? This is a tourist opportunity for Sheffield. Lavoy called the park a state-sanctioned historical site. It was a reference to a letter, a copy of which was affixed to the monument and signed by Governor Charlie Baker, proclaiming the state recognizes the claim of the UFO sighting and abduction in Sheffield. Tim Buckley, then Baker's communications director, told this reporter in 2016 the citation was issued in error after persistent Reed reportedly asked the governor's staff to put his signature on it. The text on the citation is in all capitals and poorly written. It appears to have been notarized by a justice of the peace in Connecticut. Over the years, the Sheffield UFO story has attracted considerable media coverage. Lavoie and other sources have confirmed that a crew from the television documentary series Unsolved Mysteries traveled to Sheffield a few weeks ago to produce a segment on the UFO story and the park. Contracted by The Edge, Cindy Bowles, a producer for the show, would neither confirm nor deny the segment was being produced. Unfortunately, we are unable to confirm anything at this time, Bowles said. More will be announced about the series at a later date. One Sheffield resident who enjoyed the UFO park was sad to see the monument go. Trevor Young, a British native who has lived in Sheffield for 40 years, was walking his dog Lucy at the site late yesterday afternoon. Young described the town's actions as heavy-handed. Before it was all grown over with weeds, but now you can see that river, Young said in an interview. I didn't like it at first, but after that he started landscape and I thought, this was pretty good. He said that the more humane thing for the town to have done would have been to move the monument slightly to the north on Agri's property rather than cart away the 5,000 pound concrete slab. This looked like guys just flexing their muscles, Young said of town officials. This afternoon, Reed sent the edge a trove of email correspondences with the town officials and town council, Mark R. Wright, concerning his use of the property. The edge has not yet had a chance to review them all, but when we do, another story will likely be published. Meanwhile, Reed sent the edge a statement concerning yesterday's events and has announced that he will be filing charges presumably through the state police because he acknowledged that thus far, Sheffield police have shown little to no interest in investigating. And this last one has been making the rounds. It's a video, uh, like a, from a nest or some sort of home home security system. Uh, I'm taking this from Coast to Coast. Not sure who written it. It doesn't have a name on it. But the headline reads, Strange Elf Creature Captured on Security Camera. A strange video has surfaced purporting to be from security camera footage which captured what appears to be a creature resembling Dobby the Elf from the Harry Potter film franchise. A woman calling herself Vivian Gomez published a video on Facebook on June 6th, writing, So I woke up Sunday morning and saw this on my camera, and I'm trying to figure out what the heck. First I saw the shadow walking from my front door, and then I saw this thing. Has anyone else seen this on their cameras? The other two cameras didn't pick it up for some reason. The clip has been shared and tweeted extensively and has over 5 million views. Speculation is rampant that the video was faked, based on inconsistent shadows, strange movement, and evidence of editing. Others have also guessed that the clip shows a puppet or a child in a costume. And like I said, this has been all over the place. I've seen it on Twitter uh, a lot in the past week. And I'll link to the video 
I'll link to the article, which links to the video, and you can watch it. And it kind of looks like the Mac and Me thing, Alien. And it does, it walks, it's walking from the bottom of the frame to the top of the frame. It walks past the car, and once it gets about the middle of the, the frame, it does this weird chicken dance with its arms, and then kind of waddles off. I don't, waddle may not be the best word, but it doesn't walk normally. It's kind of, it's very uncanny valley, but it's definitely interesting to take a look at, and, uh, chicken dance. I don't know, that's a chicken dance. Uh, that's all I got. And that has been the local headline. Here we are for the final segment of tonight's show, Listener Stories. Just like last episode, I've only got one, and it is another recorded interview from a friend who I went to uh, college with. She wanted to call in and share some of her stories, so we got her on Skype, and uh, here it is. Her name is Shelby, and she has, like, I think two, I think three, three stories from when she was younger that she wanted to share, and she has more, so... This probably isn't the last that we will hear of Shelby, but let's get into the interview. It's about 20-ish minutes long, and we'll be back to finish up the show after Shelby's interview. We are here with Shelby from What's Alabama. What's up? What, like, where at? I know you're Montgomery, right? That's what you said? Yeah, um, Montgomery, Alabama? Right. Currently, I'm in Montgomery. Alabama. Alabama. Yes. So. And you are here to tell us a couple, one or two maybe, mm-hmm. of uh, childhood stories, right? From, we think, around Springfield, Ohio, but we're not sure. But that's what we're going to go with, because that's what we decided to go with, right? Uh, well, definitely, like, the first one, probably more around yeah. Springfield. Then it will be, like, more towards Dayton. Mm-hmm. So, I'll just... Uh, yep. Go from there, I guess. Yeah, just let me know. If I, I'll wait. Like, what I think I'll probably do is I'll just wait until you're done if I have any questions. Okay, cool. Because there's always, like, a weird delay on Skype, and I hate trying to talk over people on it. So I will just wait until you're done. If I have any, like, follow-up questions, we'll just go back into it. That way we don't, like, disturb the flow or, you know. Oh, that's cool. Gotcha. All right. Well, I'll let you go then. Yep. Yep. All right, then. When, I guess, um... I've always just kind of been, I guess, more sensitive to certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a kid, like a like, I guess like in the womb, my uh, well, obviously she didn't tell me why I was in the womb, but my mom said that um, ever since she was like younger and stuff, like she she says that we have people that are. That have been witches in our family, and I don't know how sh- how like true that is, but she says that everyone, a lot of women in the family, have been very into. Um, I wouldn't say Wicca, just like you know, like pagan like stuff, I guess. Right, right. My gra- my grandma was. I don't know if it's a lie or not, but my she said that my mm-hmm. grandmother, um was like a some some top lady 
and like a, a coven type thing. Now, not I don't really know if it's true. I they could have been feeding me, you know, right stories. But um, my mom swears that this story is true. When uh she was about four months along, and at the time she had been getting into uh a lot of paranormal stuff that she really had no business doing. Of course, when you when people get into like the paranormal, you should have some kind of basic knowledge about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If not, like you could really mess some stuff up. She said that she had like I don't remember everything, but just something about like the the Satanist Bible. And, like, she said she had, like, the real deal, like, tarot cards and stuff like that. And she would hide them under her bed. And she said that she about four four months along. And she said that it was a dream. But she in the dream, she had woken up. And there was a demon in front of her bed. And... She just kind of staring this guy down for a little bit. And he says, um, I want your baby. Your baby's mine. Oof. And my mom's like, no, can't have my baby. It's my baby. And so the demon once again is like, I want your baby. Your baby's mine. Well, my mom said that she starts a shouting match in her dream. And she said that the room starts like shaking. And in the dream, her bed lifted up and slammed against the wall. And she said she woke up. She couldn't. She couldn't move. It was kind of like a um, what do you sleep call it? Sleep paralysis. Yeah, sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. But she said she could distinctly hear like hooven, like feet mark thingy, <laughs> cloven hooves. Yeah, like, like um, yeah, like like yeah. A, as like a goat or like you know. She said that um, after she could move, she ran to my my grandmother, and my grandmother um, questioned her about stuff that she'd been doing, and they took it in the backyard, like, the next day and, like, burned it, like, burned everything that she had, and she was basically like, don't ever let me catch you, do anything like that, and under this house again. Right. Hmm. I don't know if she continued after that, but that's... uh. What she would tell, what she told me. Okay, so like, when she said she heard these footsteps, was that I I don't know maybe you said and I just didn't catch it. Was that part of the dream or was that after that was after she woke up? Right? Yeah, it was. It was so after. like, the footsteps were were actual footsteps. They weren't like right in the dream. Wow, yeah. No, she said that uh she could like she said that was the like the weirdest. That's why she knew. Something was different about it because she heard it outside the dream and it sounded like it was pacing at the foot of her bed. So she did she see it? There's like did she ever describe like what it looked like or did she ever have a description for it? Um, actually, I've never asked her. Yeah, I should ask her, though. I'm, I'm kind of curious. Yeah, because if you I mean, I guess it depends on how much you want to know about it. Like, right. If you knew what it looked like. That could lead to, like, a name. And, in fact, I think I have, like, a demonology book around here somewhere. Oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be interesting, like, knowing. But, um... Yeah. Yeah, that would be, like... I think that would be interesting to find out. Or just, you know... If she just <laughs> heard things, or if she's, you know, like, how... You know, 
Right. I think I'll ask her. Yeah. I'll definitely ask her next time. I haven't talked to her. Yeah. And, uh, well. And as, what was I going to ask? Oh, and as far as, like, have you ever thought about, like, checking into family history, like, genealogy and stuff and seeing how much of the, the, you know, the whole witch thing or the pagan yeah. angle was, was there? Um, actually, nah. No, I have it can be like, yeah, <laughs> it can be hard to like, you know. Right. Because you know, I've always wanted to like trace my roots back. I know that like I have like German and like a few other things. I don't know. Yeah. How far into the pagan hole we're going, you know? Right. I know, and sometimes like around, like I always kind of want to do it too. I'm not gonna use last names, but my last name around here is like really well known. And there's yeah. our family, and then, like, another family that has the same last name. But we're not related to each other in any way, shape, or form. So, like, whenever I, I try to find stuff, it's always like, yeah. is, that, is that us, or is that the other ones? And Right. As far as I know, well, at least, like, with my adopted family, I know that um, we're, like, the only one down here. Right. Huh. But, yeah. But, um... So, um, I guess since, uh, how, how do I, how do, I'm trying to think, how to continue from here. Um, I was adopted after. Okay. Um, I don't really remember much about me being like a tiny child or seeing anything, but, um, when I was like four or so, I was adopted and they, uh, the people I was adopted to, they're very, 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 very conservative Christian. Like, they were really strict about a lot of stuff. Like, they didn't, like, no, there wasn't anything such as ghosts. Like, there was no, you know, I couldn't right. even bring, I couldn't bring up the subject without being like, that's, that's something the devil puts in you, you know? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, the de- oh, okay, well, we don't want to, don't want to do that, you know, when it comes to the devil. So, we, it was kind of dropped, but... It was weird to me because I would I would continue to see. Uh, I would continue. To, um, at this point, it's like really hard to like really say that you've seen like a ghost, I guess, for like spirits or whatever you want to call them, uh, because I don't know. I have I have my own theory about it, but like I would see like out the corner of my eye, you know, little kid. I would see a lot of shadow people. When I was a little kid, a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it was kind of scary. Like, uh, um, like the random times I'd peek out the corner, like just it'd be like sitting in my room, and then like a face would peek over the door at me, and then I'd look, and then they'd you know retreat, and then I'd be like, that was weird. I was never right. really like I was never really afraid, but I knew it was very weird. You knew it was um, ordinary, yeah. Right. I was um really the only like instances I've had with like shadow people. But um like they were painting my my bedroom or some I don't remember what they were doing in there. But I was a little uh I had to sleep in my brother's room and he had to go on some church camp trip thing. And it was early morning, and the bathroom 
light was on and it was shining into the room and that's that's what woke me up and i'm sitting there you know under the covers and i'm staring out of the hallway and from the top bunk of my brother's bed this uh his head peeks out this is the only time i really remember being scared mm-hmm. but like a little little head peeks out and i remember like you see it and like i don't i don't want to look at it but it's just stand it's like it's just it's just there right and i could see it like i'm not talking about out of the corner of my eye type of stuff like i can see it but i haven't looked like turned my head to look at the thing it's just kind of dangling there eventually i worked up my my uh, courage to actually turn my head towards it and when i did that it retreated back up and you know i could see my brother in the hallway he's like getting ready for his trip or whatever so i kind of knew that this wasn't my brother it didn't have a face it was just this it was like a, a human head but like shadow that makes okay. sense so like it had that was what i was going to ask so it had like i don't know how to say it like it wasn't flat no it had but it was like more like it had definition and Mm-hmm. stuff too but you just really couldn't make out like this if one I, if i asked you if it had a mustache right right you wouldn't be able to tell me that like yeah this, yeah, this gotcha. one definitely i saw it was like the closest i've ever seen one but in other in other instances they kind of just like it's it was like they were flat but in this one it looked like it was like a like a like a face but i just i couldn't tell it was just a completely black yeah 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 i understand what you're saying. i get you that makes it's, sense no <laughs> So uh, that was probably that was probably freaky. Uh, then something they say that they're not really like there to hurt you or whatever. I don't know. I have no idea. But just from what I've read, because I was curious and I looked it up like when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think I've ever read anything about people being like attacked by them or whatever. But um, there was one night in particular. It was Halloween actually. And I remember I said something mean to one of my younger brothers. And because I said something mean to my younger brothers, my, uh, her name's Debbie. Debbie at the time, she, she yelled at me and told me I wasn't going to do Halloween and to get back up in my room. So Halloween was like my favorite. You know, all kids. Yeah. I think all kids like (laughs) really like the free candy type of thing. But, um. I still like free candy. Yeah, it it honestly tastes better. True, true. But um, I was cry. I like I was like crying. I I was like very upset. And I this I don't know what this was, but I remember I thought it was my brother playing a trick on me. But um, it came like from. My bed's against the wall. From my bed, I can see my closet, and I can see my my uh my door, my door, you know. So the door like opens, and it looks like my brother, and he's on the floor, on his like on all fours, and he like kind of like it's it's. I'm trying to like keep my keep my cool because it still freaks me out to this day. Like he like. Shimmies? I don't know what to say. Crab walk? Yeah, kind of. Are we like talking that. like 
I don't want to I don't want to pull a movie reference, but like uh like Exorcist deleted scene down the stairs thing. Almost, but not like not. Yeah, like he not was that contorted. Yeah, yeah. it was like it was like Shimmy's in there, and like I've, I'm going quiet, but like I'm scared. Right. So I start uh, crying louder, and it yeah. was almost as if like it. F- I don't know how to put this either. It's really really difficult. Okay. Uh, it was like the thing. It like I call it a thing because I figured it wasn't my brother. Right. No. It's it like slides up, slides upwards right night next to my next to my bed, and I hear, "Don't cry." Mom says to come downstairs, and then it just walks out my room, and I was like, I sat in my bed for a bit, and I was like. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I come I come downstairs and um she was handing out candy and I I looked at her I was like, Did you want anything? And this is this is where it gets kinda weird because she was like, Oh, I forgot you were upstairs. And I stared at her, I said, John you know, my brother John said, you know, come downstairs and she was like, John's out with your brothers, get your costume on and I'll take you uh, take you around. So I was like, that was like really strange to me. Yeah. And uh, I think that was really one of like the major, like creepy things that ever happened in that area. It was um, we lived in Beaver Creek at that time, actually. Hmm. So so. You know, I at that house, that kind of stuff would happen. Like mostly the shadow people and that one really weird thing that happened at Halloween. Yeah, like a weird doppelganger. You know, it it sounded like my brother, but apparently they had been out all night with my uh, younger brothers. So it was that was really weird to me. But uh, I didn't have any time to be like creeped out over it because I was, you know, Halloween. Oh yeah, Halloween. So now yeah. I gotta know. What 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 did you go as for Halloween that year? Like what was the costume? Do you remember? Uh, probably like like Belle. Like Beauty and the Beast Belle. Yes, yes. Wow. That was like. I don't know. I guess I would never picture Shelby. <laughs> in a Belle in a Belle from Beauty and the Beast costume. Well, she was my favorite princess, and on top of that, I wasn't allowed to do anything scary. Oh yeah, I get yeah. That's true. They're, they were very strict on that. Like right. Uh, and for as as for you know Beaver Creek, yeah. Every now and then I'd hear the like, the occasional you know Debbie calling my name from upstairs and me going to check on it and her not you know recalling that she called me. Yeah. Um, I remember it was we. I don't know if it's it was her that came into my room. one night. She came into my room and like you know. Petting, petting my bed and being like, you know, calming me down sometimes. I don't know if that was paranormal or not, but I don't remember because she's she's crazy. <laughs> so as 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 for all the Ohio stories, that's pretty much it yeah. when it comes to you know that's my childhood. Yeah, that's pretty good. And that's Shelby's experiences. Um, yeah, the the brother doppelganger crawly thing really creeped me out but i think she'll be back on we're not sure when but she's got some more stories to tell 
And if you have stories that you want to share, there are a bunch of ways that you can do it. You can go to stscast.com. Down at the bottom, there is an email submission form. If you just want to write it in, I'll read it on the show. Uh, if you want to just record your own, maybe you just want to record it and shoot me an MP3, uh, get at me on social media and let me know, and I'll give you the actual email address so you can send it. Or if you want to set up a Skype interview, we can do that too. And that is a wrap on this show, so let's plug all the great pluggy things. Social media first. I am on Facebook and Twitter. Both of those are at STSCast. The show is also on Instagram at STSCast.gram. Be sure to check out Big Heads Mania. I will link to the website in the show notes so you can take a look at that. Um, and like always, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the show, whether you are buying merch or interacting on social media or leaving reviews. That's a great thing to do. It really helps the show out to rate and review on your podcatcher of choice, especially if it's on iTunes, because that's the big one. That's the one that's going to get the show noticed. Or just telling a friend. Word of mouth gets the show around a lot. And finally, just uh, go to stscast.com, where you can check out the show notes for links to the sources, links to the stories, uh, photos, all that great stuff. There's a merch link on there if you want to buy a shirt. I just released a new uh, Men in Black, I'm calling it, T. That is a black shirt with a charcoal dark gray logo, so it's very stealthy, very secretive. Get it? Small town secrets. Can't see the logo very well. Secretive. It, it came out good. Take a look at them. Um, what else have we got? Oh, yes. There is also now a Reddit, a subreddit for the show where I will just another place to gather listener experiences and maybe talk about them a little bit and have some discussion. So if Reddit is your thing, you can find it at r slash STS listener stories. And at the bottom of STS, I have links to all of that. So I got like, you know, the iTunes link, the Google play link, but I've got the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram and the Reddit link. They're all at the bottom of the page. That'll be the easiest way really to find it all. So that is our show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with episode eight. So until then, remember, every town has a secret. What is yours?
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.